Well, good evening, saints. Um, I was supposed to come back last week uh, after uh, being gone, and we were uh, to cover the return, but I wasn't able to return for the return because I was fighting a a throat infection uh, that I've mostly uh, recovered from. Uh, we're, we're now t- talking about the return of Christ, and uh, this is a kind of a, a point that is so crucial, uh, but also very difficult to cover. Uh, I, I, th- I think, it, honestly, there are a lot of preachers who uh, avoid talking about the end times, avoid talking about uh, future prophecy. Um, I think possibly uh, because of just there's an overwhelming amount of evidence. There's a lot of passages dealing with what is to come. And I, th- I think possibly uh, because there's a lot of confusion around the issue. There are a lot of different views. So we're going to go through this topic. And, and my goal is today we're going to look at what is our response to the things that are to come. Now, in, in order to answer that, we've, we've got to look at what's going to happen. What's coming down the line? Now, if we want to know what our response is to what's going to happen, we first got to figure out what. Well, what's going to happen? Um, and as, as we try and navigate this, uh, if you're hoping for a, a, you know a very clear point by point uh, going through uh, the book of Revelation, and you know th- this is who the man of anarchy is, this is uh, what this uh, thing, uh, this is what the you know beast represents, all those things, we don't have time for that. <laughs> Uh, as you know, as we've been going through this study of everything, as we're looking at that, uh, you know, one another name for this series could simply be trying to cover way too much and way too little time. But that's kind of the purpose of it, to get a broad overview. And as we're going through this, what I'm going to uh, try to do is, is focus on making it clear and making it simple. And so what we're going to focus on is, uh, you know, what do we know and what is Scripture clear about? Uh, by the way, there are a lot of Bible teachers that make a lot of uh, money and have a lot of influence by uh, doing something uh, that, is, that I don't think is, is very good. But there are certain things uh, that uh, Scripture presents, and you know, it's not quite clear what it's going to be in the future. And they make a lot of m- money by saying, here's exactly what it's going to look like. They, they make clear things uh, that are not clear in Scripture. And, and I, I even had some uh, professors at, at excellent seminary and Bible college, and they would go through these passages and they'll say, this is what this means and this is what this means. I think, how do you get those conclusions? You know, I could see how if you, you started out with that conclusion, you could read it into the text, but I can't see how if you're reading that text, you can get to that conclusion. So the, the, the two things I want to avoid as we talk about this end times is making clear something that might be mysterious, might be a little bit unclear in how it's going to occur from Scripture. And the other thing I want to do is I don't want to make blurry or confusing the things that are clear about 
what is going to happen. So, as I said, we're going to try and cover way too much in way too little little time. And um, uh, honestly, the, we're, I'm going to be machine gunning texts at you. Uh, now, part of this is because I I missed last week. I, uh, we're, we're we're planning to move. I don't know how many other Sundays I have with you guys. So this message is going to cover a lot of material that hopefully we can unpack a little bit more later. But in case we're not able to, this should give you a good framework for understanding what's going to be happening. And in this whole thing, one of the reasons we're moving towards it is. So you can understand in broad strokes what God's overarching plan for all of history is. Why? So that you can be able to communicate the hope that is within you. This is what God has done in the past. This is what He is doing in the future. This is what He will accomplish. Uh, sorry, this is what He is doing in the present. Uh, and this is what He will accomplish in the future. So we're trying to put handles on these deep psychological things that you might better understand them. So uh, in terms of framing today's uh, discussion of what is going to come, we're going to use Acts 3, an interesting place to go, to frame this discussion. So what's going to happen? Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 21. Acts 3 is Peter speaking in Solomon's portico uh, to the Jews about Christ. So, uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. So in this passage, we we have a, a what I'm going to use as a simple outline. This says uh, Christ is going to be sent from heaven. That is the return of Christ. That is the second coming of Christ that is mentioned here. And what do we have described as His work when He comes? Heaven must receive him until the time for restoring all things. So we're going to use this passage as a framework to dive into this issue. And so in answering what's going to happen, Acts 3 tells us there's two main things that's going to happen. Number one, Jesus is going to return. And by the way, that's, that's point number one. And, and with the, pro, the amount of evidence that, that this event is referenced into in Scripture, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even have to make this point if, if you're a believer or somebody who, who knows the Bible. But unfortunately, it's something that now, that's now contested. Some people to debate, well, is, is Christ going to come back? Is, is, he, is He going to return? 
Guess what? Well, Jesus said it. He said, I'm going to refer. That, sh- that should be enough. If that's not enough, in Acts 1, angels ask the apostles while, and the followers of Jesus, why are they staring up in, the, in heaven? And they said that Jesus, who went up, is going to come back down in the same way you saw him leave. So Jesus said it, the angels said it, the prophets predicted it, the disciples said it, the, the scripture through the epistles proclaims it. Christ is going to return. That's our, 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 the first thing we know of what's going to happen in the future. And so if Christ is going to return, we then ask the question, why is Christ going to return? And Christ is going to return to restore everything. Christ is going to return to restore everything. Now, there is a lot that is included in that restoration. Okay? A whole lot that's included in that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to blitz through five of them. But I want you to get that big picture of uh, what's going to happen. You can, you can answer it in a sentence now. Jesus is going to return to restore everything. That's it in a nutshell. Now let, let's start un, unpacking some of that. Uh, Jesus is going to return to restore everything. What's involved in this restoration? Uh, one of the things we see is in this restoration of everything involves the revelation of Christ. So uh, Christ uh, appears, Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, Christ is appearing. We have passages uh, talking about uh, Christ coming back in, in the splendor of his majesty. Second Thessalonians 2, 8 says this. Uh, by the way, if you're a note taker, this is, you're going to have to take notes fast. If you're trying to keep up with the references, might not be able to, to do it. Uh, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth by dis- and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Christ's return is, has so much splendor, it defeats his enemies. There, there's this revelation of Jesus Christ that occurs in this restoration of all things. This return, the return of Christ is going to reveal his glory. It's going to reveal his power. It's going to reveal his justice. It's going to reveal his kingdom. It's going to reveal his might. Christ in his first coming came in humility. Christ in his second coming is coming in glorious splendor and majesty. So when he restores all things, part of it is a revelation of who he is. As he restores all things, part of it is conquest. So the splendor of his might destroyed his, his enemies. Also, 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 24 says, but each in his own term, this is speaking of the re- resurrection, but each in his own term, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, when he comes back to earth, those who belong to him will be resurrection. And then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. 
So when Christ comes, he's revealed in glory, but he also comes as a conquering king. The, the kingdom was announced in his first coming. In his second coming, the kingdom is coming in power. And he it will conquer his enemies. He will destroy all dominion, authority, and a power that is opposed to him. We, we see in this restoration, uh, not only just a revelation of Christ, not only a conquest of his enemies, but we also see a judgment of all nations. Jesus talks about this in Matthew. That the nations are, are, are going to be gathered and some are going to enter into eternal life and some are going to enter into eternal condemnation. He's going to reward and punish. He is going to exalt or defeat. He's going to honor or shame. Uh, and we could spend a long time speaking of the judgment of Christ, but one of the, it is one of his works when he returns to the earth is, is judgment. And, and by the way, some of these uh, uh, strands are interrelated. It, it, his, his conquering and his judgment are, are both related because in his judgment he condemns those who are opposed to his work. We also see in the restoration of all things, uh, Christ is revealed, but there, there's also a glorification of believers. Uh, and it's really interesting the way Colossians 3.4 describes this. Colossians 3.4 says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So what do we have? We have Christ who's going to appear. And guess what? Then you're also going to show up. You aren't fully here yet. You haven't appeared yet. But when Christ appears, you are going to appear in a way that you haven't appeared yet. When Christ comes, it'll be revealed what God is doing in us and for us. First John 3, 2-3 says that when He comes, we will be made like Him. When He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. That's why I started with that revelation of Christ. When we see Christ as He is, it has a transformative effect on those who are seeking and following Him. We, we see that this glorification of believers involves our revelation, our transformation. We see uh, rewards that are given to believers. There's a uh, uh, crowns that are mentioned uh, oftentimes. Uh, we have in, in First Timothy uh, a passage. Uh, uh, sorry, Second Timothy four eight says. Uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He, he says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, so it, again, these concepts are related, at the judgment there's going to be rewards given to certain people. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Those who long for the return of Christ, the reign of Christ, the rule of Christ, receive a reward in Christ. 
there is a glorification of believers that involves our uh, being rewarded. Uh, Hebrews 9.28 says that at the return of Christ, we... Golly, this is, like I said, there's so many beautiful and wonderful passages on this. It, it, it pains me to go through them uh, so quickly, but we have to use somewhat of a machine gun approach. And I keep bringing these passages in so that uh, you don't think I'm just making these concepts up, but to assure you, no, this is in Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time. He's coming back. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. In this glorification of believers, uh, we are going to receive our salvation when Christ appears. Now, we saved right now? Yes. Not fully, though. Uh, there, there is a way in which we will be saved when Christ returns, where we will be more saved than we're saved now. When we will see the fulfillment of His salvation. We have in Philippians, you know, Paul saying, I'm confident that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The end product of what God is working out in His people is going to be a beautiful and marvelous thing to behold. He is coming. When He's coming, we'll receive our salvation from Him. We have been saved. We are being saved. And saints, we will be saved at His appearing. First uh, Thessalonians 1, 9-10 mentions that uh, this Jesus who, who is coming, one of the things uh, that He's going to, to do is He's going to spare us from the wrath to come. Isn't that great? <laughs> we who are sinners, we who would be justly condemned under God's wrath are, are going to be spared from Another thing we see that in the uh, return of Christ is that when He appears, we're going to be united and reconciled to Him forever. Saints, I want to remind you and assure you that the reward of heaven is God Himself. All other blessings flow from that, but that is the chief jewel. That is the most precious thing we have. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17 says this, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, isn't that great? Amen. When He comes, dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are believers, are, are, who are left alive until His return, are going to be united with Him. And then from them on, there's no separating us from the presence of the Lord. What a wonderful day that will be. So we have 
our glorification. We have the revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ, and one of the things He is going to do is He is going to share that glory with us. It's a mind-boggling thing when you think of the riches and the glory of Christ and this work that He is going to accomplish by the power of His might in His appearing in splendor in us. I can't imagine myself in the ways that Scripture describes we will be like when He appears. Some of y'all I can't imagine what you'll be like when Jesus comes and has His restorative work completed in you. Uh, a, a, a fifth thing we have in this restoration of all things, and this is not a comprehensive list. This is just giving you a taste of some of the ways in which Scripture defines and describes this uh, restoration. Uh, We see Christ will return the kingdom back to God. This is kind of of an interesting one uh, that I hadn't thought a lot about until studying this. 1 Corinthians 15, 23-24. We read it before, but see if you picked up on this. Um, then the end will come when he, that is Christ, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Uh, One of the things that, by the way, reminds me of is the temptation account of Christ in the wilderness. And one of the things that Satan tries to to tempt Christ with is all the nations, basically a kingdom consisting of the whole world. He says, I'll I'll give you all the nations of the world without the cross if you worship me instead of God the Father. That's That's a pretty tempting thing. All the kingdoms, you get to circumvent the cross. Just have to worship me in, instead of God. What does Christ do instead? So Satan offers a kingdom without a cross if Christ will worship him. Christ the Son worships the Father by offering to him the kingdom that he earned through the cross. This is one of the things that's going to occur at the restoration all of all things. Now, uh, what, in terms of what's going to happen, Jesus is going to return. He's going to restore all things. We've, we've just touched briefly on some of what that means. Now, another question uh, that comes along with this is, when is it going to happen? Um, we, we got a loaf of bread, and uh, Jennifer was looking at it. She said, good news. I said, what's that? Uh, and, and she said, well, this bread doesn't expire until November 31st. Uh, now, th- th- those of you may be aware that the, uh, there are only 30 days in November. Uh, so we have bread which will never expire. Uh, you know, until it reaches November 31st, that, that bread is good. Now, if, you, if you're waiting for November 31st, It's never going to arrive. I think what has happened to to some people is uh, that because Christ has not arrived yet, they think it's never going to happen. 
And in fact, this is one way in which unbelievers mock Christianity. But I want you to know, this isn't a new accusation. This isn't a new mocking thing. In fact, in 2 Peter 3.3 3 says, hey, this is something you should expect. 2 Peter 3.3 3 says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is the coming he promised? They'll mock. They'll say, why hasn't he showed up yet? Uh, by the way, this is uh, this when is uh, it going to happen uh, question is something that believers can get off base on as well. Uh, I want to try and remember what I said of the two ditches I want to try and stay out of. I don't want to make clear something that Scripture has not clearly revealed, and I don't want to make confusing anything that Scripture has clearly revealed. So, uh, when is it going to happen? I have uh, two things for you. Uh, Number one is soon. When's it going to happen? Soon. All right. Uh, Revelation uh, 3.11 says, I, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Uh, further on in, in, in Revelation 22.12-13, he also says, uh, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Uh, so... He's coming soon, and there's a, a theological word that is used to describe this soonness, that the return of Christ is imminent. Now, by the way, uh, there's imminent, eminent, and imminent. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm going to spell it for you. So, the imminent we are talking about is I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. If you spell it E-M-I-N-E-N-T, then that's somebody who's famous or revered, an eminent person. Um, if you spell it I-M-M-A-N-E-T, E-N-T, A-N-E-N-T, uh, that is referring to God's sustaining work of the universe. Uh, so, But imminent, I-M-M-I-N-E-T, two I's, one E, that refers to something that's about to happen. Now, something that's imminent isn't necessarily immediate. Something that's imminent is about to happen. But you don't know when it's going to happen. If you go into a doctor and and, uh, you're having chest pains and issues and, and they look at you and they say... Look, you got a you you got a ninety eight percent blockage. There's nothing we could do once that last percentage uh, uh, f- fills up. Uh, then you're going to die. You say, when's that going to happen? And they say it could happen at any time. So that what does that mean? That means your death is imminent. Might be in an hour. Might be in a day. Might be in a week. It might be further on down the road. But at, at any point, it could happen. At any point, the return of the Lord can occur. So, when is it going to happen? Number one, soon. Number two, uh, and these are, I think, the, the best ways I can try and communicate what Scripture says. It comes like a thief in the night. Uh, and, and this is used in, in multiple places of, in Scripture. Uh, Matthew uh, 24 
36 through 34 mentions it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4 mentions it. Uh, and by the way, in Matthew 24, Jesus, when talking about his return, says, The day and the hour no one knows. Uh, and I mentioned trying people trying to explain stuff that the scripture has not explained. There was a book um, uh, written many years ago, and it was called 88 Reasons That the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. It sold a lot of copies. But do you know what? It didn't occur that year. Uh, and the author wrote a second book. Do you know what it was? 89 reasons why the rapture will occur in 1989. And I, and I think, you know, if, if those people had just known Matthew 24, they wouldn't have wasted their money on the book. And he found another reason, you know. It's like, uh, I guess his, he thought his calculations was wrong. Ah, must, must, must be this year. No, the day and the hour is no one, no one knows. It's like a thief in the night. It is unexpected, unplanned, unpredictable. You know, I I don't know if you've ever had to, you know, get phone lines or cable run to your house, but you know, they'll they'll say, we'll be there between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. You know, you never know when, when they're, when they're gonna come, but hey, at least they give you a window. This is like a thief in the night. When does the thief give you? He doesn't give you a schedule. He doesn't give you a day. He doesn't give you an hour. He doesn't tell you when he shows up. He tries to show up when you're unexpected, though. One of the the reasons why this analogy is given is if you know somebody is coming to rob you, what do you do? You prepare for it. You, you, You try and get ready for it. Try and secure the locks. You try and stay up. You try and make sure you aren't caught off guard. That's part of the reason why this analogy is given, like a, a thief in the night. By the way, in that First uh, Thessalonians passage, and we, I'm, I'm going to have to read it for you. So uh, it's very powerful. So we have First Thessalonians. By the way, if you've tried wading through Revelation and, and, and found it to be very complicating and, and confusing. If you're trying to figure out what's going to happen at Christ's return, what's going to happen in the, in, in the future, I, I wouldn't recommend jumping into Revelation first. That's kind of jumping in the deep end of the pool. But First and Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians are a great place to start. There was confusion in the Thessalonian church regarding some people came in and started teaching the Thessalonians that the rapture or the resurrections already occurred. So that started rattling them and kind of upsetting them a little bit. So a lot of the corrective work in First and Second Thessalonians has to deal with the return of Christ. So we have some great principles from these books. Uh, so uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus said it was unpredictable. Paul said we don't need to write about it because we don't know exactly when it's going to come, the times and the dates. Yet a lot of Christian literature is written on those things. It's like, well, if Jesus... 
says we don't know it, and Paul says he's not willing to write about it, I think it'd be a big step of hubris to say, yeah, but I think I know better than that. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So when is it going to happen? It's soon, imminently, unexpectedly. And, And as we look at when... Scripture describes the return and restoration of all things occurs. It it leads us to start asking this question, so why does it matter? Yeah, Jesus is coming back, but so what? Or alternatively, well, Jesus is coming back. What difference does that make in the here and now? How should that change the way I live? And saints, in in answer to this, I think there is... um, I think the hope that we have, we're, we're, the Christian faith is a forward-facing faith. Our hope has not yet been fully realized. Our salvation has been secured, but it hasn't been delivered yet. The check's been written, but we haven't deposited it yet. The mansion's been built for us, but we aren't inhabiting it yet. The resurrection's coming for believers at the return of Christ. But right now, we are living in fallen, dying bodies. There, there is a hope that we have. In, in, in a way, we should almost start with the hope that we have in the return of Christ and then work our way backwards. This is what everything's moving forward, towards. So what is our trajectory towards that? And why do we have assurance of that? It's because of who God is and what He's done. So, in response to the return and restoration, we are to live in preparation and anticipation. In response to the return and restoration, we're to live in preparation and anticipation. Um, And as I told you, we're trying to fit way too much into this one message. We should... Respond to the return and restoration, first of all, in preparation. I, I, I don't know if... It, look for this when you read Scripture. When it talks about the return of the Lord, it's almost always closely associated with an exhortation, with a call to live a certain way. Yeah, in, in the Acts passage that we read in Acts 3, Peter says, repent then and turn to God. Why? Because he is going to send the Christ to return and restore all things. So if you're not turned towards God, repent and turn toward God. In, in multiple passages, the return of Christ motivates purity in believers. We want to be pure as He is pure. We want to be sustained by Him. We want to be found pure and blameless on the day of judgment. In in preparation for that day, we return, we purify ourselves. Believers experience endurance as a means of preparation. 
Uh, a lot of times when these passages are written, they are written to believers who are experiencing persecution. And Paul is reminding them, hey, we are expecting a king coming from heaven. This world isn't what you're living for. This world isn't what you're invested in. This world lasts a short time. Uh, it's interesting, Peter in his writing, he says, you know, this suffering uh, lasts for a short while, and the short while he's talking about is their lives. So endure in the midst of persecution. Endure in pursuing good, knowing what? That Christ is returning. Uh, it's also interesting, the, these passages, uh, they have references to gathering and encouraging one another. Uh, we, we, this one's kind of interesting, so I want to uh, focus it on a, a little bit. But as we prepare for the return of Christ, one of the things we do is we gather and encourage one another towards that end. By the way, we did that this morning. Because this morning... We took the bread and drank the cup. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We're doing a proclamation of what has happened until what's going to happen happens. The return and the restoration. Uh, There's uh, these other passages that... That, that talk about, you know, until Christ comes, we're, we're to be gathering together and encouraging one another, building up one another. Hebrews 10.25 is one of them. And I think a lot of times, I've, I've heard the first half of this verse emphasized, but there's a second half that, that's importantly tied on. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. In light of the return of Christ, we're to continue exhorting and encouraging one another to stay faithful and fruitful in our service to Christ. We have these appeals. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore prepare for your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace given to you when Christ is revealed. We, we have this desire to prepare for the return of the Lord. We keep ourselves. And, and by the way, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give one more thing and then I'll talk about the means of preparation. Uh, as we repair, we repent and turn to God. We purify ourselves as He is pure. We, we endure through the sufferings and oppositions of this life. We gather together and encourage one another in the pursuit of the Lord. Uh, another thing that we're called to do is refrain from judgment. Now, by the way, I, I want to make a distinction. Warning people that judgment is coming is different than judging them. But we don't take vengeance on people, for example. Why? Because we are looking to God to set all things right, not ourselves. We have an anticipation of His judgment. And we wait for that and we look to that. Now, as we prepare for the return of Christ, one of the things I want to emphasize is that this preparation is 
occurs by God and through His power. Uh, we, we see uh, this passage: "Keep yourselves in, in Jude one twenty one. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring to you eternal life." How do we abide? How do we pursue these things by remaining in His love? We have uh, this pursuit, but this this pursuit and, and this preparation for the return of Christ, we don't accomplish this in our power or in our own ability. We accomplish it through the power and the means He has provided. That Christ has come and died on the cross to secure for us a salvation. That the Holy Spirit is ministering to us and helping us grow in faith, hope, and love. As we look to the return of Christ, these are not things that we do in and of ourselves, but that come from abiding in Him. Remaining in Him. Filled with the fruit of His righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Christ to the glory of God the Father. I love this. this is, sorry, I need to read the whole thing, not just paraphrasing. Philippians 1.10 So you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. That's the purity aspect we talked about. Until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. So because of Christ... We are saved, and through Christ we are being purified, so that when Christ comes, we might be found acceptable to Him. It is in and through and to Jesus Christ and to the glory and praise of God that our salvation is being worked out in us. We have this Hope in Christ. Now, I, I mentioned as our response to the return and restoration involves preparation, but also anticipate anticipation. Those who love Christ long for His return. Christ's return gives us hope. There's longing. There's anticipation. There's expectation. Uh, we have. We already mentioned several of these passages. We talked about First or Second Timothy, where Paul Paul says that there's a crown of righteousness uh, for him and also for all those who have longed for Christ's appearing. Uh, Titus two refers to this hope we have. Is he says. The, the, the appearance of Christ has taught us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and, and Savior. This is something we long for. This is something we are waiting for. This is something we are yearning for. As we look to His return, we are filled with joy. First uh, Peter four thirteen says, "But rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed." Uh, I don't know what type of things you look forward to in life, but there is so much to look forward to. 
There is so much to hope for as we look to the return of Christ. Do you long to see Christ more fully? He's going to appear in His glory. Do you long for justice on earth? He's coming to judge all nations. Do you long for a day when creation is no longer groaning and burdened by sin? He's coming to bring a new heavens and a new earth. Do you long for a day when we are free from the corruption of sin and its influence? He's coming to make you new. He's coming to restore you. Do you long for a day when every tongue will confess? Do you long for a day when every knee will bow? Do you long for the declaration (coughs) from heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord over all? Then anticipate and long for the return of Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Join me in singing one more song of praise. <laughs>